You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you are so kind. You're so kind to us. Thank you. Thank you. And I thank you for the book of Galatians. Thankful that the Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter. So rich, such um, great truth, and yet one simple truth over and over again, the truth of the gospel. I pray that we would never get bored with the gospel, that we would never move on from the gospel, but the, the the simple truth of the gospel would be the foundation of our lives and would govern all that we do. I pray you would use your word today and all that we do as means of grace and sanctification. May we walk out of this place more like Jesus and more committed to the gospel. May that be true. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room under the sound of my voice that does not know you, that is not regenerate, someone who maybe has deceived themselves into thinking they are genuinely Christian but are not, I pray that today, Holy Spirit, would you show that? And may today be the day of salvation for them. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, Cities Church. It is great to be with you. Uh, I am excited about today's passage. Uh, it is one of these passages that so oftentimes, uh, as Pastor Jonathan said so well a few weeks ago, it's one of these passages that we, we study and we study, and sometimes we just don't understand it as, as much as we would like. And it's one of those passages, to be frank, has lots of what I would call nerdy rabbit trails. I like to go down nerdy rabbit trails regularly. Some of you probably are like that. Some of you are like, no, 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 we're not fans of that. We, won't, we, will, we will avoid the nerdy rabbit trails this morning. But it's one of the passages that have those types of things in it. So I'm excited uh, in, in essence, this is the moment where Paul's about to pivot in this letter. And he does this in all of his epistles, or most of them, where he, he usually starts off his letters with a heavy dose of doctrine and theology. He's like, here's what you ought to believe. And then he usually pivots to give us some exhortations on how we ought to live our lives in light of the doctrine he just taught. That's, that's usually what he does. And so in this letter, for the first three and a half chapters, he's given us some very rich theology that we ought to believe and embrace. And then as we go through chapters five and six, we'll see that he's given these very clear exhortations for how we ought to live in light of that theology. But right before he makes this pivot, he kind of wants to one last time drive home the point he's already made in this letter. So by the end of this sermon, you're going to think to yourself, I feel like Kenny just made the same point that we've made like six other sermons this year that's intentional. Paul is not doing, that's not an accident. Paul is doing that intentionally. He wants you to be thoroughly gospel fluent. He he doesn't want to move on to giving you instructions on how to live until he is absolutely confident that you have been inundated by the gospel. And so what we have seen thus far as we've traveled through the first three and a half chapters of Galatians, we've seen Paul addressing the false gospel that the Galatians had embraced. There had been this group of false teachers that came in to the province of Galatia. We call them the Judaizers, and they had been been claiming that believing in Jesus was not enough. 
Paul had been there. He had preached the gospel. The Galatians had believed in Jesus. And the Judaizers come in after and say, actually, Paul is wrong. Believing in Jesus is a good start, but you got to do something else. You have to now also follow the law. You can't abandon the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law has all these rules and regulations and protocols and expectations, and you've got to follow those as well. And Paul is writing this letter to make it very clear to them that absolutely not. You cannot be saved by following the law. It is not Jesus plus something. It is Jesus alone. He wants to make that very clear. And as we saw in Galatians chapter 3, he leverages Abraham, the patriarch in the Old Testament, as a means of making his point. And he will do that again here in Galatians chapter 4. And using Abraham is a key uh, because he is the key figure in the Old Testament that many people are looking to. If you're going to be under the law, if you're going to esteem the law, Abraham is going to be the guy that you often look to. Right? Abraham was the guy that God established a covenant with. God says, Abraham, you and I, we're going to be friends. Your family is going to be my family. I'm going to bless you. I- I've got a promise for you, and through you will come the Messiah. God established this, this incredible covenant with Abraham, and the Galatians are saying to themselves, we want to be in Abraham's family. So we ought to then follow the law to ensure we are good Israelites, so that we will ensure that we are in Abraham's family. But Paul is making the point that, no, 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 you are going about it all wrong. Abraham didn't get in covenant with God by doing stuff. Abraham didn't follow the law and earn his way into God's good graces. That's not how it worked. So if you want to be in line with Abraham, you should do it the way Abraham did it. And Abraham didn't do it by following the law. Abraham was declared righteous by faith. That's the point he is making here. Abraham didn't earn his ticket to heaven or a spot in God's family by behaving really well. No, he acknowledged that he could not save himself and he believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And you almost get the sense from Paul as we've traveled through the first three and a half chapters, and you'll see it again here in just a moment. You get the sense from Paul that he is not so sure that the Galatians know what they've gotten themselves into. Like, are, are you sure you want to go down this road, Galatians? Like, are, are you sure you know what you're getting into right now? And that's how he starts the passage we'll look at today. Look, look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 with me. The Apostle Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? It's like, wait a minute, you want to be under the law, you want to follow it, but have you even really listened to it? Have you read what's in it? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Do you know the expectations you are claiming to be able to live up to? It reminds me a little bit of a situation. A really, a uh, cousin of mine was going on vacation to Orlando, Florida. She lived in Pennsylvania at the time. And several years ago, I lived in Florida. And so she gave me a call and said, hey, me and my friends are coming down. I'd love to see my cousin. Let's hang out. I said, absolutely. Where are you staying? She goes, I got a great deal. Instantly, I knew it's probably not a great deal. I just, I just, I had a sense. And she's like, yeah, yeah. I went to, I went to this presentation about timeshares and they told me they'd give me a free week on vacation. Now, listen, I, I'm not dogging timeshares. I know some people use them, and some of them are re- reputable companies that do great things and offer great vacations. But we also know that the industry is, maybe has some people in the, that we would say maybe are less than reputable. She was caught up with a company that I would have labeled less than reputable. 
So she shows up in Orlando, Florida with a few of her friends, and we're hanging out. And uh, I'm like, oh, let's go to Universal Studios. We're going to go hang out at the park. She goes, well, they gave me free tickets and a free hotel room. Oh, that's amazing. She goes, yeah, but the ticket's not good until 12 noon. Like, the park opens at 9. She goes, yeah, yeah, it's only a half-day ticket, so I have to wait till 12 before I go to the park. Okay, well, it's still free, so I guess it's okay. And she, I was like, yeah, well, how many days are you going to the parks? Oh, well, well, see, on Tuesday and Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock, I've got to go through these other presentations. Oh, interesting. She goes, yeah, and when we're at the park, we have to buy a certain amount of food at this one restaurant. And then there was these other charges at the hotel they didn't tell me about, but it's still really cheap. You know, something like 500 bucks opposed to 2000 And I'm like, well, but you thought it was going to be free. Yeah, but it's still, like, not super expensive. And then throughout the course of the week, she kept complaining to me all the things she ended up having to spend. And at the very last day, she goes to check out, and they hand her a bill for $2,200. And she says, well, this is supposed to be free. He goes, well, you need to... You need to have the credit card that you put a deposit down with when you were in Pennsylvania. She had put a $150 deposit down, and it was supposed to be refunded. And they said, if you don't have the exact same credit card, you're, you have to pay the whole thing. She goes, well, I left that card at home. It's in Pennsylvania. Sorry, you're on the hook. And she argued, and she did, she did what she could. At the end of the day, she was on the hook for $2,200. I was very angry on her behalf. We tried to do what we could, we, but we, we lost the battle. And I remember being in the parking lot, and I'll never forget what she said. She goes, you know, I thought I had a really good deal. This made a lot of sense, but I guess I wasn't listening very well. I appreciated that she took ownership of that too. It was good. I, th- I think that's sort of the sentiment that Paul has got here with the Galatians. Now, of course, my cousin lost a few thousand dollars. The Galatians are at risk of losing their souls. The stakes are much higher. But the sentiment is similar. Paul's going, do you guys know what you're getting yourself into? Listen, I know it sounds like a good deal. I know you think you can live up to this, but, but have you read the law? Do you know what's in there? And then the very next verse, Paul then says, Paul then jumps to highlighting a part of the law that he thinks they may have missed. And he's going to leverage a part of the life of Abraham to make a point. He says in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, many of you are probably familiar with this episode in Abraham's life. If you're not, I'll give you a quick quick synopsis. Abraham, at the age of 75 years old, hears the voice of God. God guides him and tells him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. So at 75, God promises you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who is 65 at that time, they believe God. And they go, okay, we're going to believe God that we are, that Abraham's going to become the father of many nations. Now, to be the father of many nations, that means you're going to have a lot of kids. And you got to have a lot of kids, you got to have at least one. And you got to start somewhere. And Abraham and Sarah had not been able to have kids up to this point in life. But they believed God. But eventually their confidence begins to wane. And a few years later, Sarah and Abraham conspire to fulfill God's plan for him. Right? They, they, Sarah has this idea. They conspire together to say, listen, you're going to be the father of many nations. You've got to have a kid. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're, we're to come up with a plan 
to, to fulfill what God promised. Yeah, I, I know we started believing in God by faith, but we're, we're gonna go and just take matters into our own hands and do this on our own. And Sarah says to Abraham, why don't you go to bed with Hagar, my slave girl, and have a child with her. And so that's what they do. And Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. They said, we're gonna take matters into our own hands. We're gonna manipulate the circumstances. We're, we're tired of waiting for God to come through here. We're going to put some effort in, and we're going to get her done. So Abraham, at the age of 86, has a son, Ishmael. But God makes it clear, that's not the way I wanted to go about it. Abraham, he's not the kid. The way you did it, that's not the way. No. Look at verse 23 here in Galatians 4. Paul says, the son of the slave... Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Paul's like, that wasn't a supernatural thing. God promised to make you the father of many nations, and God promised he would do it in a supernatural way. And you went about doing it in a natural way, manipulating the situation, trying to manufacture something, try to do on behalf of God what God promised he would do for you. Paul will then make clear to the Galatians, that's what you're doing with your salvation. Paul's like, I came to Galatia. I preached the gospel. You believed it was a supernatural thing. And now you want to finish out your salvation in the flesh by earning it, by working at it, being dependent on your own human efforts and your own ability to fulfill what God said he would do. God's like, guys, this plan you concocted, this is the handiwork of humans. This is not the promise. This is not the fulfillment of the promise I gave you. God does fulfill his promise. 14 years later, when Abraham is 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old, eventually Sarah gives birth to Isaac, the child of the promise. This is a miracle. This is supernatural. This is the fulfillment of the promise. I don't know if you know this, Typically, women don't have children at age 90. It's not a, not a normal thing. God wanted to intervene. God wanted to guide so that it was obvious to all that this was supernatural. I, and Abraham is called the child of the promise. Look at verse, the second half of verse 23. Paul says, the son of the free woman was born through promise. So there's this, these two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was the older, Isaac the younger. Ishmael is the product, the result of human efforts. Isaac is the result of the supernatural intervention of God. And Paul, in verse 24, is about to make a statement to give us insights as to how we ought to view these two sons. Look at verse 24 with me. Paul says, now this may be, <clears throat> this may be interpreted allegorically. I want to pause for a moment, and I want to just give two side notes about this verse that I think might be helpful. First, Paul says that we can learn something from these two women, that we can sort of view this narrative as an allegory or a metaphor. It's an illustration of sorts. And we can look at their lives and learn things about them that apply to us. However, I want to make it crystal clear, the Apostle Paul does not believe that the book of Genesis is merely an allegory. 
We can look at Genesis allegorically, we can learn from it, but it's not just an allegory. It's not a myth or a work of fiction. The book of Genesis is a work of history. It's very important. There are some in our culture that would like you to believe that the book of Genesis is just a bunch of fables or myths or tales, or maybe some of it's true, but it's exaggerated. No. As we examine the Apostle Paul's use of the Old Testament, whenever he cites the Old Testament, it is abundantly clear that he believed that the book of Genesis and that all of the Old Testament was historically accurate. We see this over and over again. The way, the way Paul talks about he, uh, Abraham here in Galatians 3 and 4, it's obvious he believes Abraham was a real person. He believes that. It's not just an allegory. Multiple times throughout uh, Paul's writings, he alludes to narratives from the Old Testament. He does this in Romans chapter 4. He's talking, about, uh, he's talking about Abraham again. In Romans 5, he's talking about Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15, he's talking about Adam. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he alludes to Adam and Eve. In Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Timothy 2, in all of these passages, he alludes to Adam and Eve. And it is abundantly clear when you read them, it is 100% obvious that Paul believed these were not fictional characters in the Old Testament. These were real people that really lived, that walked on this earth. And if Paul believed they were not fictional characters, that we should reject the idea that they were fictional characters. Christians, you can trust the Bible. The Old and New Testaments are reliable. You can trust the historicity and veracity, and accuracy of what is reported in the Bible. If you're here today and you happen to be a skeptic, or maybe you're not sure about that, or maybe you're a Christian and you're struggling to, to trust the Bible, we would love to have a conversation with you. So feel free to come on up after the service. We'd love to connect and have a conversation about that. So that's the first side note. It's not just an allegory. Number, the second side note, in addition to be historical events, the events of the Old Testament are orchestrated by God in his providence to shout to us various theological truths. They are not by accident. The, 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 the events of Genesis wasn't just accidentally, and Paul goes, oh, let me figure out how to work this in. No, no, God sovereignly orchestrates the events of history with theology in mind, teaching us these things. And many times in the Old Testament, we see these moments that foreshadow concepts in the New Testament. And we call these things types. These things in the Old Testament that foreshadow something in the New Testament. Sometimes they're pointing to Jesus. Sometimes they're pointing to some other doctrinal concept that is revealed in the New Testament. And the study of types, we call that typology. That's what we, we nerdy types like to call it, typology. These are filled throughout the New Testament. One of the, one of the best, easiest, clearest examples is in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, in essence, is saying... Jonah is a type that points to me, right? Jonah, swallowed by a whale, swallowed by a, a large fish for three days. It appears that he's been defeated by death, and yet he is then is given new life, and he heralds the message of repentance. Jesus appears to be defeated by death, rises from the dead on the third day, and declares the message of repentance, right? Jonah, true story, it actually happened. And God orchestrated it in such a way that it would point to Jesus. We see lots of these in the New Testament. We see uh, the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter says that 
Noah's flood is a type of, that, that points forward to Christian baptism. In, in, the, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about the tabernacle pointing to Jesus and the presence of God. And all of the elements in the tabernacle are all types that point to things in the New Testament. That God did everything in a very particular fashion in the tabernacle. The furniture, the design, the structures to point to New Testament doctrines. One of my favorite types is the man named Joseph. In the book of Genesis, Joseph, who is wrongly accused, condemned, betrayed by his brothers, and he is suffering in between two criminals, one who's restored and one who is not. Remind us of anyone? Jesus, betrayed, condemned, wrongly accused, hanging between two criminals, one restored, one not. The Old Testament shouts and foreshadows to the New Testament In John chapter 5, Jesus is having a conversation with Jewish leaders. He's rebuking them for reading the scriptures and not seeing Jesus. He says to them, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. Jesus is like, you guys are studying the Old Testament. You're memorizing it. You're understanding it. But you're missing the point. The Old Testament points to me. It's not the Old Testament that gives you life. It's the Old Testament that points you to the person that gives you life. Jesus. And if you're reading the Old Testament and you're not seeing Jesus, then Jesus would tell you you're reading it wrong. It's important. So that's the second side note. When we're reading the Old Testament, we we look for types and they foreshadow things in the New Testament. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does here in Galatians 4. He He is making a point here to the Galatians, but he's looking back at the Old Testament at two women and their two sons, and he is saying they are types that point to something greater. That's what he does here in this moment. Look at verse 24 again with me. The Apostle Paul says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. I'm going to skip verse 27 and come back to it in just a moment. In verse 28, Paul, Paul says, Now you brothers like Isaac are children of the promise. Paul's like, listen, I came and preached the gospel to you guys. And then you jumped on board with this false gospel of Judaizers, trying to follow the law, trying to rely on your own ability to work your way into heaven, to earn your way to salvation. But you missed it. You want to be be under the law. You want to embrace the law. But you you missed one of the key stories in the law that help you understand why you should not do that. There's two women, Hagar and Sarah, and they have two sons. They each have a son, Ishmael and, and Isaac. Hagar... She, when she gives birth, she produces slaves. She is, is the mother of those that rely on the law. When you rely on the law, you end up in slavery. The result of trusting in the law is being enslaved. But Sarah, she's the mother of those that embrace justification by faith, the new covenant. Those who embrace the new covenant, Sarah is their mother. They are the ones that will inherit the promise. They are the ones that will be a part of the family of Abraham. Paul is saying, you trust in Mount Sinai. 
You trust in the law of Moses that was given there on the mount. You're not a part of the lineage of Isaac. You're in the lineage of Ishmael. You think you're in Isaac's downline, but you're not. You're going to inherit what Ishmael has given you because you've trusted in the wrong covenant. He says, Hagar, she is, she presents, she, she is present with the present Jerusalem here on earth, which is enslaved. Paul's like, hey, the city here on earth, Jerusalem, they're enslaved politically to the Romans and spiritually to sin. You want to follow the law? You're going to be a member of that city. You're going to be a citizen of that city that's enslaved. But when you take the promise, when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a citizen of the new Jerusalem, which is above and it is free. Paul's going, what are you doing? Are you out of your minds? This is insanity. Why would you be a part of this and choose to abandon it for this? Why would you be a citizen of the new Jerusalem, which is free, and choose to abandon that citizenship to be a citizen of the Jerusalem that is enslaved? You think you're a child of Isaac, but you're actually a child of Ishmael. Ishmael was brought forth by the flesh, natural means, human effort. And that's what you're trying to do, Galatians, with your salvation. You're trying to use human effort to save yourself. The result is slavery. That's not supernatural. But to be saved, to receive the promise, is supernatural. It's to be like Isaac, to be brought forth in a supernatural way by God's providence and intervention. When we take matters into our own hands, when we rely on our own efforts, we end up in slavery. Now, the points that Paul has made here would have been absolutely shocking to the first century audience. This would have totally turned everything upside down because they're thinking to themselves, wait a minute, aren't the Jewish people, the ones that have had the law, the Israelites, aren't they the ones God has been faithful to all these years? Aren't they the ones that are going to inherit these things? Listen, us Galatians, we're Gentiles, but we want to receive the promise. We should then jump on board with the law, with the Jews. Isn't that what we should do? That's what we've been taught for centuries, century after century, generation after generation. And Paul goes, no. Let me give you a, a silly example for what I think how they might have felt. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were watching a movie. And in this movie... Early in the movie, a, man, a very wealthy man dies, and he, uh, he then has to bring together, or the attorney of the family has to bring together the family the next day to read the will. And so the entire family's there. They're at this very wealthy man's house. There's hundreds of millions of dollars are on the line here, royalties to books and resources and assets that are on the line. And all the family is there, and the attorney opens the letter and starts to read, and to the absolute horror of everyone in the room, they find out that all of them have been cut out of the will. And that someone outside of the family is going to inherit hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cash and assets. Everyone in the room is absolutely shocked and they're angry and they turn on this girl because they feel like she must have done something. They're jealous, they're angry to find out that they're actually on the outside looking in. I think that maybe gives us a sense as to how some of these first century audience would have individuals would have felt. 
all this time, they're thinking, we're on the inside. We're going to inherit the promise of Abraham that's been passed down through the generations because, because, because we're following the law. And Paul opens up the will and goes, actually, none of y'all who are relying on the law, none of y'all are going to inherit anything. You're on the outside looking in. This is how they likely would have felt. The promise that God gave to Abraham then passed through to Isaac, to Jacob, to Jacob's children, to their children, to their children's children, and all the way down the line. And people assumed that if I follow the law, I'm in the downline, I'm in the lineage, I'm a descendant of Isaac. And Paul says, no, for those who trust in the law, who trust in the law for salvation, Sarah is not your mother. Abraham is not your father. Actually, Hagar, that's your mother. That's your family. And by the way, I don't know if you notice, Hagar, all she knows how to do is give birth to slaves. This would have been shocking to Paul's first century audience. There's no doubt at this point, Paul has messed with their thinking. And some of them may then say, wait a minute, wait a minute, didn't God promise he's to be faithful to the Jews? Didn't that, isn't what God promised? And Paul, as he always does, brilliantly, proactively answers their question. He's able to anticipate the questions that the audience are gonna give, and he answers it well, and he does it by quoting from Isaiah 54. He says this, in Galatians 4, 20, 4 27, he's quoting from Isaiah 54, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. This is the key, the key phrase. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now throughout the pages of the Old Testament, over and over again, God talks to the Jewish people as if he is their husband. He refers to them as, as his bride. He is their husband. He uses that language over and over again. But what we discover is that the Jews are not a very good bride. They are unfaithful to him. In fact, they are labeled a harlot more than once in the Old Testament. They continually flirt with other gods. And Paul, Paul is saying to the, to the Galatians, yeah, 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 the, the Jews were the ones that God was protecting all along. But now that Jesus has come, Isaiah prophesied something. The one that had a, the one that seemed desolate, you Gentiles, you're actually going to become more than the ones that had a husband. The Jews, they had a husband. They weren't faithful to him. And now, through Jesus, God will be in covenant with you. You now have an opportunity to be in this marriage covenant with God. Why would you abandon that to join forces with the people who had an affair and were divorced? Why would you do that? This is insanity, Galatians. No, no, you, you're the ones Isaiah was talking about. You didn't have a husband, but now you will be greater than the ones who did have the husband. Over and over again, he says this. Paul's point to the Galatians, you were called desolate by the Jews, but now God calls you his own. He says, you're mine. And then he explains why we should not want to jump on board in verse Verses 30 and 31, he says this. What does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit 
with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The apostle Paul is making the point that Ishmael and his mother, they eventually, they get cast out. They get cast out. He's like, you've thrown your lot in with Ishmael. Have you not read the end of the story? They get cast out. That's the trajectory you're on. That's the group you've joined in on. You've, you've abandoned the one who loves you to join forces with the group that has betrayed the one who loves you. If you insist on trusting in the law for salvation, you will be cast out and you will suffer the judgment. Don't go down this road. Galatians, I exhort you, please don't go down this road. When Abraham tried to do it out of his own accord, it resulted in more slavery. When Abraham trusted God, we saw the supernatural hand of God. When Abraham trusted God, the result was God fulfilling his promise, and the same is true for us. When we try to earn it, we try to, we try to earn our salvation, when we try to deserve it, we try to merit it, when we try to prove that we can do it, it only leads to more slavery. But when we trust in Christ, when we trust in Christ, when we believe God, we take God at his word the way Abraham did, we see God fulfill his promise. And his promise in John chapter 6 all who come to me, I will never cast out. Those who throw their lot in with Ishmael, with the law, trying to save themselves, you will be cast out. But those who come to me, I will never cast out, Jesus says. And Jesus made this possible at the cross. It was at the cross where Jesus did what needed to be done so that we could come to him with the promise to never be cast out. We are all sinners, every single one of us, by nature and by choice. We deserve to be cast out. We deserve to be condemned. We deserve the full wrath of God. God could have looked at humanity and said, to hell with you, literally. And he would not have been wrong. He would have been well within his rights to condemn all of us. Yet God who is rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, he says that's not gonna be the end of the story. And he chooses to intervene, to rescue us, to make a way for us to inherit the promise to be in the family of God. If we trust in Christ and Christ alone, if we wholeheartedly believe on him, we are counted members of God's family. City's Church, I say to you this morning, just as Paul has said to the Galatians, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. We are not citizens of the earthly Jerusalem that is enslaved. We are citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, which is free and above. We are in God's family, and that is worth celebrating. It's a simple message. We've said it over and over again, but my prayer, my hope is that we never forget it and that it governs all that we do. You are not children of the slave woman. You are children of the free woman, citizens of the new Jerusalem. You are members of God's family, forgiven of your sin, justified 
and the promise to enjoy him forever. That's why we celebrate that every single week at this table. Every single week we come to this table to celebrate what Jesus has done. Just a moment, the pastors are going to come. We're going to distribute the elements. This meal is open to anyone here who's a believer in Jesus. If you are here this morning and you have put your hope and trust in Christ, in Christ alone, we welcome you to come and participate in this meal with us, celebrating that Jesus paid the price so that we, so that we could be free, so that we could be members, citizens of the New Jerusalem. If you're here this morning and you are not a believer, if you are not a Christian, if you have not put your hope in Christ and Christ alone, I would ask you to not participate in this meal. When the bread and the wine come, just uh, let it pass. But don't let the moment pass. Instead of taking communion with us this morning, I implore you, take Christ instead. If you want to know what that means or you want to talk about that, we'll be up here after the service. We'd love to have a conversation with you about what that is. If anyone wants to talk about that. We'll pass the bread first. Please hold it and so everyone has one, and then we'll, I'll come up and lead us. We'll take together, and then after that, we'll distribute the wine. And reminder, the bread is indeed gluten-free. There is no gluten in the body of Christ. <laughs> Cities Church, we are children of the free woman. Let's celebrate that together this morning. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.